0: The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner up with Navy Federal to pay down credit card debt. You can learn more at NavyFederal.org.
1: As we live life, we're seeing life through a pane of glass, like a filter. And as our heart gets broken, as we suffer traumas, big traumas, small traumas, that glass gets dirty. And it gets so dirty that we don't even recognize it's dirty anymore. And what these psychedelic substances seem to be able to do is clean that glass from the inside out.
2: All
3: right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness.
0: It is a beautiful day out here at Valhalla, and the sun is out and shining. Just so you know, we are posting on our social media app, so stay up to date on, uh, at Team Never Quit. And then let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is, where would you recommend taking a kid on their first camping trip?
4: Mm. Well, Axe just had our eleven-year-old. The fifth-grade class goes on a camping trip. Like the whole class, teachers, and everything, they actually go in tents um, to a state park in Texas, four hours away from home, called Enchanted Rock. And they just did this last week.
1: Grade five.
4: Yeah, wow. grade five, and get them
1: out there early. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I think I did that. Grade seven.
4: Did you? Yeah. So they go. And it's a one night thing. They leave really early in the morning. They're supposed to hike when they get there, do all the camping things at night. They're supposed to hike the next day and then drive back in the afternoon. Well, they get there, they do their first hike and then they get ready for bed and it starts storming. And then the lightning comes And They said it looked like a movie. The lightning, they're up on top of this hill, like a domed hill and the lightning is just coming from all sides. They said it, it was crazy. All of their stuff got soaked. Their, the inside of their tents got soaked. Their sleeping bags and pillows and everything. And in the middle of the night, the teachers called it quits. Wow. And they had to pack up and drive the four hours home. Oh so Axe is not excited about his first camping trip in a tent. I, I mean, Enchanted Rock may be great for some families, but for Axis fifth grade, he'll oh, never it was forget awful. that. He'll never forget never get it. Get it. i never forget
3: it. I think my...
1: the lessons there, though, your first camping trip is maybe just someplace you can nicely drive in, set yeah. up near a lake, nice, nice little easy. fire pit right there. You know, some other campers
3: around,
4: or maybe even in the backyard. Cabin lakes, yeah, <laughs>
3: camping trip deals. Those are great.
4: I feel like the first one when Hunter was little. I set up tents in the backyard, like mm-hmm. in the very back of the backyard, That's and do that
3: for birthdays. It That's was the his... starter starter. If you if you real, real real technical, you just build a tent in the house first.
1: Yeah, a fort. Yeah, a fort with yeah. the
3: blankets, and then you kind of slowly get them out the door yeah. and down the road. Yeah, I'm they're... from I'm from
1: Canada. We did igloos. Like Ooh. I remember somebody's dad doing us this crazy, like it was warm inside, what? and we stayed overnight in that thing. In the real igloo? Yeah. yeah, it was not not as cool as an Eskimo's igloo, I don't think, but I think it was a, a pile of snow that had been there because of clearing the driveway or something, and dug it in and. Oh it was awesome. my
4: gosh, that's cool! Yeah. I've never been in an igloo.
3: I feel like anywhere in, the, in one of our national forests, mm-hmm. on a, definitely next to water, not on a river where you could do some fishing with the campfire. And then you can you know get out early. I remember my dad. We would go camping a lot. That was the thing. It's the best sleeping you'll have. Yeah, it's camping. Mm-hmm. If you need to sleep, go for a camp. Yeah. For no other reason than to get out there to get to get some rest. Because for whatever reason, it works like that. Yeah. Your story
1: of your son reminded me of, I did this grade seven camping trip and it was a hike and a camp. And as soon as we got there, this dog started following us around and he was there for the three or four days that we there. And it was awesome. And I really wanted to take this dog home, but the bus driver wouldn't let me take the dog home. Um, I'm sure my parents wouldn't have liked me showing up with the dog anyway, but there was an article in the newspaper a week or so later that somebody shared and somebody was hiking that same trail. Some rock mysteriously fell and chopped somebody's <gasps> arm off. And there was a little line in there that they said they used a tourniquet from the collar of a dog that had been following them around oh, since they arrived.
4: That gave me chills. <laughs> I know. Oh my god! This
1: dog gosh. saved the life. I'm glad he wasn't allowed on the bus. Oh.
4: Gosh, that gave me a I forgot all about chills. that. story. Because wow. from now crazy. on, when any of my
3: kids want to bring a stray dog home wearing a collar, I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that sucker's out here to save somebody, leave him there. <laughs> Keep him <you> close by. <laughs> Thank you for the out. Yeah. I mean, I've been searching high and low. <laughs>
4: we just need to feed it. I
3: just needed a real life story yeah. to go along with it. So there now I got one. Everybody can. Oh knows my that.
4: gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that is a crazy I know, story. Right? I all that's about like that. a movie. Wow.
3: There's definitely some adventures and some crazy stories do come out of the camping world, though. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, that was a good one, Hunter.
3: So Canada. Where in Canada were you we born?
1: I was born in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, which is near Toronto, about an hour
3: west of Toronto. Every Canadian I run into are just pleasant people. Is that, is that like an overall thing, or do you all have some bastards that run around there it's that no a, one gets the junk lit up? I
1: think there's some jerks, but... Uh, in fact, uh, I was coming up... You found one? You know where one's at? Uh, no, there was a, I, was, I was speaking to a driver yesterday, and she's from Mexico, and I mentioned I'm from Canada. She's like, oh my God, that's my favorite place to visit. The people are so friendly. And yeah, I think the people are legitimate. I think we have good manners, you know, and just know how to... But Texas is got that over... too, I think,
3: right? Well, that's a big thing for Texans. Yeah. yeah I think that gets overlooked a lot is man, manners go a long way. Yeah. But is but,
4: manners because you were disciplined as a kid? Um,
3: at least to
1: have good manners. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I wasn't, I got my spankings, but yeah. probably not for bad manners. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I feel
4: like manners go hand in hand with discipline, yeah. at least having a guideline of discipline. If you don't have any kind of discipline, the kid never has manners.
3: Well, you have a guideline. There's gonna be a guideline put in that thing. Mm-hmm. Which one you won't. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how you have to look at that. Especially in the beginning. I was watching something the other day. They were talking about AI. And one of the guys was talking about how much time and effort they got to put into training it. And then I heard somebody say the other day, do you, do you take the time to teach your kids how to share? Like that that's a skill set you have to teach somebody. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it like that. I thought that was kind of like you just but if you're going to break something down, you need to put as much time and effort into your kids as you do AI or if anything that has to be trained and breaking it down. You see those. It's like looking at a well-disciplined dog, like a canine, right? When they sit up straight and they're just kind of focused on, then you see the one that doesn't. You can tell everyone loves how sharp that looks, right? Mm-hmm. When you see that, and that's well, I think that's a, so people are fascinated with the military because yeah. when they when they when they close and then they come into ranks. Yeah. When y'all see us do that, that's something. It yeah. changes everything. Like, you can see us mill about, man, but when we sharp up in the ranks, that's a whole different ballgame. And then
1: you guys carry that with you afterwards. Afterwards, like yeah, that's I've, right. In working with military guys, I've heard a few people come through, because they come in in groups, and they've all picked each other out yeah, before right. they've yeah. even met. Like oh, yeah. They've scoped it up. They know everybody that's been in the military just by eye in the room.
3: And with our generation, it's, it's really prevalent because our, the war we were fighting was against a ghost. So you actually had to look at everybody and understand how they walk. Like bad people walk a certain way. They'll act a certain way. So like we really have to study, study each other. Wow. It, it was by default that happened to us. I don't, that wasn't really part of our training. Some of us have got that training, but actually life did that, that to us. So when, we, when you're around us, that's right. Yeah. And we speak a different freaking language. I mean, we could sit there and have a conversation. <laughs>
2: acronyms, Yeah, man. absolutely.
3: Oh, we could sit there and have a conversation that everyone will understand, but we're actually talking to each other saying something different. It's yeah. crazy. It's awesome.
1: No, uh, yeah, I don't understand. The acronyms. No, that's right. The acronyms is crazy. I've, I've picked up a few, but...
3: Oh, you'll get better with it, man. Yeah. You can't help it. It's just, it's just like with anything else. It's like you, you'll be sitting next to us, and what normally happens and why you remember something is it'll be an event. It'll make you laugh. If you laugh at something when you correlate it with that verbiage, then that's how it gets yeah. set in. That's probably where most military terms come from.
4: So, did you have a big family in Canada?
3: Uh, my parents are still married.
1: Um, that's a big deal. It <laughs> it is, <laughs> Congratulations! <yeah>. Right? And <laughs> it's, in fact, it's my mother's seventieth birthday is coming up next Aww. week, and we're doing uh, this. Probably this won't air before <laughs> she. So I surprise mom in case you do see this soon, but um, we're doing, my sister asked me and her husband's going to do it and she has four kids and we're all going to record like little snippets of things, 70 things that we love about my mother and they're going to edit it into one thing. Yeah. So one sister and uh, she now lives in Australia She's married to a great wonderful country. guy. It is a great country. Great place. Is he Australian? Yeah, he's oh, Australian. Yeah, they, met, they met while she was at teacher's college in Scotland. And uh, now she has four kids, three girls and a boy.
3: So you got Canada and Australia? That's a stretch, man. Y'all's family reunions. Y'all meet in the middle somewhere? Or what, what are we, we talking about We go back here? to
1: Canada or we go to Australia. My parents came good down Lord, man. to visit me recently, too, but haven't had the whole family down. That's Aww. a good time. I yeah. love it down there. Yeah.
3: Too, too far away to visit, but, man...
1: Yeah, it was a really good upbringing. It was a great place to grow up. Um, it's a big city or country? It's a medium-sized suburb, like town. Yeah, town. town. It's you know I think it's Kitchener and Waterloo. I think while I was growing up, there was about three hundred thousand people total. There, so yeah, that's pretty big. big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Right on. That's city.
1: Yeah, my grandpa was country, and he always called me a city boy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, the three grams, grands—that's a city. Yeah. You have a, uh, what's it, like sports teams and stuff?
1: No major sports teams. The Kitchener Rangers was the hockey, hockey team. Hockey yeah. though, right? Yeah. Hockey at yeah. the yeah. Wazoo. Yeah, okay, yeah. hockey at the Wazoo. I didn't play too much hockey. I was a swimmer. <laughs> Sorry,
3: freezing cold up there, dude, what the, the hell are you talking about? In fact,
1: what are you even talking about? Indoors, in fact, the, even
3: talking about? I didn't even things, know y'all had swimming up there. Are you
1: even kidding me? <laughs> one of the things I said about my mom in the video I shot is her getting me up at five in the morning, freezing cold outside, colder than freezing, taking me to a pool so I could get in and do swim practice that I didn't want to do an indoor so she, pool, right?
4: Oh, yeah, well, an indoor the, the water okay. probably yeah, felt yeah, good yeah. when
3: you got in if it's freezing outside.
4: Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> that, yeah,
3: you're right. No, no I, I don't.
4: Do. Think There's something so about good. having to take your clothes off oh, even dude, if you're inside when it's freaking man. cold out. Hats off to the
3: swimmers. I know, like that's that sport in particular. Getting up early like that just to go get in that cold out because it's always 72 degrees, which is not pleasant in the morning when you do. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a hard hard bath.
1: It wasn't good. Um, <laughs> not good,
3: no, no. But I was, I was
1: pretty good. I was a pretty good swimmer. I've always kind of gravitated towards water sports. I'm a not very good surfer, but always wanted to really? learn how to surf and then learned how. Yeah, I just don't practice enough now.
3: Well, that, yeah, yeah.
1: I spent four months in Costa
3: Rica in 2005. I got a good how. break down there. Yeah, and it's warm. And it's warm. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Same way with Hawaii, but they're just real particular about their breaks there. Yeah. brothers sisters siblings Um, yeah one
1: sister the sister two two school years younger almost three actual years younger incredible person we're very good friends her whole family is amazing love them very much um really kind of untraumatic childhood you know kudos to my parents it
3: was which they do what
1: My dad is a mechanic who then owned, he was a service manager at a Ford dealership and then owned his own shop. Uh, It was a fuel injection shop, KW Fuel Injection. So he was the boss of that shop and sold that and it was a successful business. My mom's incredible. She's a registered nurse who then put herself back into school to get her master's almost all by correspondence so that's a memory i have of my mother is her just sitting there working on these papers at the kitchen table for years and years got her master's became a nurse practitioner um oh wow worked at the same hospital her whole life retired and now still works at that same oh hospital my gosh, Went back, really? just yeah, a right. few a few days a week because she's so valued and and she needs the money to pay to bring families back and
3: forth from Australia.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. For no kid, right? See. Oh my
1: God,
4: no. For her to see her. So, grandkids. do you take her own
3: Do you know how to take her on cars and stuff like that? Did you learn how to do that, or was that? It's just funny.
1: Things? My dad is. That's the only team. reason I ask because pops was. But yeah, found... my dad's a mechanical genius. Like he can fix everything, and I didn't pick up very much because he just one? did it. I held the flashlight, but I didn't pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every my my the love of my life Brianna she is uh, continuously made so I actually can fix things which <laughs> there's, there's a f- few things I picked up for
3: sure yeah okay, because you know guy code if something goes wrong in the car you automatically lift the hood and yeah. you get out you even gotta, if you don't even if you don't know, know what the <laughs> hell you're doing Yeah, just look at and it and then you look at it and you be like okay try it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you come back in and then you wiggle something Yeah. and then you're like okay try, try it. it right <laughs> But then there's the guys, I passed one the other day, taking the kids to jiu-jitsu, man. Old boy was sitting up in in the freaking engine uh, compartment, ass hanging out with the crack, dude. No. You know, he's just going to work in there. Some guys can just, once they know how it works, they can yeah. just do it. Yeah. It, it's amazing. It's like the guys who can do math. It's man, yeah. man, they just got it. Like, I grew up, the car never went to a
1: mechanic. We never, never had a plumber. Right? Yeah, yeah. We never had an ele- electrician. And my dad would do that for all his friends. Everybody would call Gord whenever something needed to be fixed. What was his name? Gord Miller. Oh, yeah.
3: Dude. See? Yeah, that's one of them helpful names, too. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about? Right. I think yeah, <laughs> in your crew, you need to have one of those guys. Yeah, you do. Like, there's certain names with certain guys, and certain guys have those skill sets. You're like, man, you know, you just got to have him because he loves to fix something. And the way you get him is just like, I don't think it can be fixed. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm talking about? You just kind of just trip them into it. And they're like, oh, boy, I can fix this. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? You just hand them a beer or something, right? And just, yeah, they can he's, fix he's anything, Crazy! Man. It's amazing. And it,
1: he's still there on call. I, in fact, he came down and, and visited me at my new place that I had been renting. And there was just a list of things that didn't work. This gl- sliding door didn't open properly. This screen had a hole in it. This He must have fixed... A hundred things. Oh, my, God. For <laughs> my At my landlord's so, yeah. house. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. 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 My landlord said, how much do I owe you for oh. all this work? Like, no, it's my dad. We were talking
3: it. about that last time I was, I was with you, man. That makes sense yeah. to have dad out. Yeah, that's remember, the he fix fix everything. that door in that, yeah, house.
4: that house. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so funny. That's great. So what did you do after growing up in that area? Did you stay through college?
1: Yeah, I... So I was a swimmer. I turned into a lifeguard. The... The only paying life job, lifeguard job I had was at a Holiday Inn hotel, which had a little.
3: Uh, it was an Express. No, it wasn't an Express.
1: Oh. <laughs> it had
3: to, yeah, that I that had came out it. while <laughs> I worked at Holiday Inn. That's we pretty an express, proud of that. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's um, going on a resume if you're a lifeguard at a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they tore that Holiday Inn down now. But um, it had uh, a little fitness center and pool. I never saved anybody. It was boring. I folded a lot of towels. But then once I graduated high school, I started working the front desk of that hotel. And then I didn't want to go to college or university right away anyway. And in Kitchener, where I grew up, there's a, a ski hill 200 vertical feet called Chicopee which is a tiny hill, but it taught me and everybody I know how to ski. So once we could, I I had a girlfriend who worked on cruise ships. She got a job, or I had a girlfriend. She got a job working on cruise ships. She left. I was 19 years old. I said, well, this is my chance to move west. So I've moved west to British Columbia and lived in Whistler, British Columbia, which is a ski town. Yeah, sure is. And I went and applied at the Holiday Inn there, and because I got the job, and because I knew the systems, I was training people my first day. Oh, wow. So I quickly became a front desk manager. So I was the, a 19 year old front desk manager of this hotel in this resort town, which got me, I was able to swap, I was able to give away free rooms. Oh, so very for,
3: powerful position. Very I, powerful. I feel like position. that's a little <laughs> hidden uh, TV show that would have have be huge. TV show. Like what you possibly. Could have seen working behind the desk at a hotel, yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time in hotels, that's the only reason I think about it a lot. I'm like, some of these hotels, I bet just working here, the stories well, I worked on cruise ships after that. That's even better. Are you story. kidding me? Let's get to that.
1: All right, because <laughs> the cool thing about Whistler was I was able to give away these free hotel rooms, did, and then I had backdoor access to sure. everything. I was given free meals at all the best restaurants. Uh, my one of my best buddies' older brothers came into town for a visit. He's like, "You're like the godfather around here." <laughs>
3: Check. That's a great hookup to to. I didn't even think about that. If you've got a buddy who works a desk at a hotel, like, "Hey, I got some friends coming in, man. They need a place to stay." Yeah. Because hotels, they they keep rooms back off to the side. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So especially
1: that's... in a ski resort. Like yeah. It, well, it, it and in Whistler, place. everything Whistler's is so
4: expensive, yeah. and it's so hard, especially during a high peak season. Actually, took Hunter for his third, what was it, 12th birthday or yeah, something? Yeah,
0: it was around there.
4: Uh, to Whistler. Be more specific, man, if you had a great upbringing. <laughs> yeah. I think was, I think yeah, had a microphone been, over yeah. here. I he's all grown We've up now. I had a times. badass childhood. And it was packed. It was so hard to get a hotel room oh, yeah. because we were going during spring break. So it was just impossible to get a room. You yeah. had to pay out the wazoo.
1: Yeah, it was good times. I always schedule myself <laughs> for after 3 o'clock, so I would ski all morning and then ski into work, basically.
4: Oh, my gosh. What a life.
1: Yeah, it was good. It was, wasn't really
3: good for the liver. <laughs> I, I feel like at that age, though, your liver is, is totally totally ready yeah. for that, though. Yeah. I think it it's, it's fine. prepared for it at yeah. a certain time for a certain yeah. you know, endeavor in life there. Yeah. And then you went to a cruise
1: ship. Well, then in 2001... I got a job in Vancouver opening a, a hotel, a Hilton hotel, and that was the first job I ever got fired from for uh, there was this lovely lady that I started dating that mm. was under me. Miss Hinton?
3: <laughs> <laughs> she was under you, huh? Yeah.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> on the hierarchy, I managed her. Yeah, and that that's another way to put it. That didn't fly. <laughs> that, that, actually, I got the 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 first time I got the line there is this isn't Whistler, Trevor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but that was a great thing. I moved back to Ontario for a little bit, waited tables. That's the first and only time I've waited tables, which is a lot of fun. And then moved back to Vancouver, worked at a hotel again for a bit. Then got fired from that same reason.
3: What do you learn by waiting <laughs> tables?
1: Um. I learned there that I never have to worry about what I'm going to do in life because I could always fall back to waiting tables and love it because you can make great money. You hotels already taught me a lot about customer service. I heard people swear
3: about it at a certain age, and they'll tell people. So yeah, you, what, what is it? You learn something. There's something there, right? That's you just the, you, it's, a fallback.
1: Yeah, it's just it's great money. It's you're in and out. It's fun if you're working with the right team and how to deal with people yeah i mean you learn a lot about yourself
3: and how to deal with people yeah because when you're dealing with people and their food it it, it's different right yeah it changes things
1: yeah well i think that food and hotels like i think just especially when people are going to a place like whistler this is the trip they've planned for for a lifetime they're finally there the gift of being able to make somebody happy and be a good host in whatever situation i think that's kind of like a a secret thing that has led to my success, even in the yeah. way I met you guys, sure. like, and, and be, being a cruise director, oh, it on a lot cruise of Oh yeah, yeah. Like just being able to host somebody, make them feel comfortable in your space, make them feel super
3: important. There's, you can tell. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great something to skill that
4: because a lot of people don't know how to host. No. And even people that work in hotels, we've, because of Marcus's work, we've gone to, uh, I can't even count how many hotels and you will you can immediately tell who's really good at customer service and who just sucks and was never trained to do that. It's
3: almost, the best way I can explain it is just walking into somebody's house, when you walk into uh, uh, where there's a lady living in there and it smells like Bed Bath and & Beyond and there's food <laughs> prepped everywhere and anything you ask for and everyone's polite and like there's manners in there, it's like walking into a house like that and then you can walk into some hotels and they'll be like, man, you know, there's not even a shower curtain and yeah. there's some blood on yeah. the ground.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs>
3: You, well, you two
1: are incredible hosts. This house is amazing. And we that love doing it. Room that. Yeah, is it's amazing. A, man, it's, it's fun. It's mind blowing. I already sent videos home of that <laughs> guest, the guest room, which is a thousand times better than my master bedroom. <laughs>
3: <Thank> <laughs> this place is designed for the guests.
4: Well, we um, we know how it is to right. be on the road, and and you want to just feel comfortable when you go somewhere, and it that is definitely a gift.
3: When you can walk into some of those hotels, you'd rather be there. Yeah, like, hey, like you, know, you don't want to leave. You want to leave? <laughs> yeah, i wanted to set up shop in a few. Man, yeah, we got them, and it's not the ones you think either. Yeah, I mean, you hear the big names and all that. Yeah, and they have some too. But then there's places out there that are just, and it's all who runs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all who runs it, man. We stayed at this one. It wasn't a vault. It wasn't a hotel. It was just like an old and we were road trip into. Oh, um, oh
4: my gosh! What like was people that take called? these old
3: houses and old hotels and refine them and turn them into. like an, an old theater, carriage house. An old carriage house and wow. make them into. Hotel. Man,
4: Um, there's another
3: TV show, too, just figuring out where all those places are.
4: What was that called? It's in Tucson, Arizona. The Vault. Was it called The Vault? Yeah, The
3: Vault. I'll never forget it. Wow. Don't shake your head like that. It most (laughs) certainly was, too, called The Vault.
4: I don't think it was called The Vault, but it was something like that.
3: Well, I thought that was cool, and I, I remembered it.
4: It's it something like I that. Anyway, <laughs> it has like six rooms and it's really freaking cool. Um, but yeah, anyway. Okay, so it's you... like that? But that yeah. customer
1: service thing, like that's... We're looking at when we're talking in my current business, which is giving psychedelics to people, like how do you find somebody to replace me who's been doing it for 10 years so that I can come to Texas and do podcasts kind of thing? And yes, you want somebody who understands the medicine, but in in working with the business partners on what do we need i'm like we need somebody who's worked at a hotel before we need somebody who's really good at hosting and customer service and that's in fact what we call the role now is the hosting role yeah you can you you walk them through the kind of therapeutic aspects of uh preparing and things like that but are they genuinely a good host that's I think it's a great gift that's been given me, the hotel, giving me the on the my health path. spa,
3: The hotel, health spa attitude, plus the home family. Mix mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. With like a Thanksgiving attitude. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's this kind of environment you've, you've developed.
4: Yeah. And you're obviously even being raised in a good, sturdy household, yeah. you know, good, loving family. That you can tell when you, you walk into them. one of those too.
3: Yeah. For sure. It's yeah. like walking, the difference between walking into a fraternity house <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> <a> hospital. <laughs> There's just a freaking difference. Yeah. So w- tell me about working on a on a cruise ship.
1: Yeah, so first thing is I sold websites for a while. People always told me I'd be good at selling and then I watched the dot com thing happen in the late 90s Remember that? and I that was I was crazy. like I said these guys are making money out of nowhere. How do I get a piece of that? So then April, 2001 is actually when dot bomb happened. And that's when I slipped in and got a job selling technology. And then that turned into uh, a company that broadcast auctions on the internet and was actually quite successful. And it was then while working there that I said, people had always said, I had this girlfriend I mentioned who worked on ships. I had another really good buddy who worked on ships and they'd always said, Trevor, you'd be great on ships. You should do this. So I finally applied. I was probably 30 or 33 or something and i had i got a job in the lowest rung on the entertainment department department which is basically playing pictionary for a living yeah, so what's, talk about
3: that what's it actually like being on a, i know it's like in the military but i mean on a cruise ship to the do y'all is there one is there a bunch of y'all yeah who's the lowest man as yeah opposed, so the, is the, the captain like the king out the there captain
1: is that? the king and then the lowest man is probably this crew staff position. 50 <laughs> bucks a day is what I got paid. But you get your food, obviously, and your board. It's great
3: food too, right? Or
1: your room. Yeah. the Yeah. It's good initially. And then it's the same food every week. Okay. But you can't complain. Um, and then, but it was my goal to get on the ship. And I told everybody I'll be a cruise director within a year, which is in charge of the entertainment department. And... Two down from the captain, as far as authority in a safety situation. I guess we are walking on a boat. Yeah. you got the biggest yeah. brass, So right? I said, I'll be a cruise director within a year. All my friends said, that's impossible. I became cruise director within eight months. that was a good gig. That's,
3: uh, you know, you're in front of,
1: (laughs) in front of the whole, that, that gave me, gave me a really good ability to speak in front of people. Um, it it doesn't make me nervous at all to speak in front of 2000 or more people. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was my job to to drink with the passengers, basically, and and get to know them and be the host of the ship. One guy bumped into me one day. He's like, oh, the one guy everybody on the ship knows. Ah. And, but yeah, it was... Uh, I did that for about four years. I just, I'll just... Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to beautiful St. Thomas. We have a wonderful day in store for you here on the MS Nordam. Incredible singers and dancers on stage, ladies and night. <laughs> yeah.
3: Just, yeah. <laughs> so does that come kind of like the one MC when yeah, was in the yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah,
1: that, that, is that was me. <laughs> so funny.
4: What cruise line was it?
1: I started with Holland America Line and then did a stint on Princess too.
4: Nice.
3: Yeah. And it's its own little culture too, right? It's, there are people
1: so, who so talking about doing a tv show or something there was actually i heard uh, a production company came on board and wanted to do a reality tv show about working on cruise ships and uh holland america line saw the footage and said no way we can't let this out because it's crazy like it's just it's you know 50 cent beers in the crew bar i don't drink anymore and Part part of it is because of the way I drank on cruise ships. I think like I, the first day I got on the ship, they put me to work right away, hosting events and stuff. Then they said, get into your night gear, got into my my jacket, meet me in the, the cruise director's office. Uh, And then he said, all right, now we're going to go to the, to the officer's bar. So, or he, he just said the office. And walked down to the front of the ship, and it was the officer's bar. So drank three Coronas before doing the night duties. Drink beers while you're doing the night duties. And then go party in this crew bar afterwards. Woke up hungover the next day. Did it all again. Woke up hungover the next day. And I said to myself, if I'm not careful, this is going to be the new normal. And sure enough, that hungover (laughs) feeling was just the new normal Uh. for four months at a time. No days off. Always going, but a lot of fun. I,
3: yeah, I I feel like there's certain jobs out there at certain ages that you get into just for like, if you skipped college. Yeah, if, you know, there's there's something out there.
1: Yeah. So
4: did you and your girlfriend stay together?
3: Um, I met
1: uh, no that girlfriend. No, we're still friends. But uh, I met the the woman who I married, who became my first my my, my only first wife so far. Um, <laughs> Keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, you want to say My stay only with one wife so yeah. far. I'm with Brianna now, who's not married yet, but it'll probably come soon. Aww. Um But we won't uh, tell anybody. Yeah, no, y'all don't uh, tell nobody. Yeah, yeah. So, Becky is was a singer on cruise ships. We're still incredible friends. We actually threw a happy divorce party. Oh my gosh. When we when we went our own separate ways. Well, there you go. She she, she actually I've came, never heard of that. But. She actually came for an ibogaine treatment not too long ago. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was beautiful having her. She had a crazy experience on her ibogaine. Um, she uh, she she's very kind of flamboyant. She was Ruby and I were sitting for her. She said, "Oh, I see this. Oh," and she's getting freaked out. And then she goes, "Oh, the queen's here. And she's English. She's like, oh." I wonder what the Queen's doing here. Weird. And then I went in and saw her the next day. She had a beautiful experience and she said, Yeah, it all makes sense. But what was the Queen doing here? That was so weird. She was there in a blue dress, hanging onto her purse, just waving at me. I go out, hop in my Jeep, turn on the radio. The Queen died last night. <gasps> it that was gave that nice. Oh my yeah. God. And she's from England and lives in Windsor where the Queen's castle is. Oh my God. Gives
2: me chills. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of things in this line of work. That (laughs) is chills. That's the third time you've said, give me chills
4: since I got here. I've been getting them.
3: (laughs) Okay, so you come off the boat.
1: Okay, so there's backstory. So in 2001, after 9-11, I was super...
3: I forgot about the dot-com happening the same year we got hit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: You know that? Yeah. Because... We were coming through the 90s and everything was everything. I yeah, mean, it was, it was badass. Yeah. We, we were going... I mean, that was, right? Yeah. I remember that part of our life being great. It, nothing
1: was wrong in the world. Nothing. No.
3: no.
1: Nothing. We were riding high f- for all of the 80s and 90s, basically. I
3: very vividly remember that. Yeah. And, I, and when I run into our generation, they talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you are born in 76? Five. Five. Yeah, I'm 76. So our, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, we had a, a great childhood. Yeah. And then I forgot about the .dot com bust, but I remember seeing everybody on the streets and hearing all that stuff. And and God, I forgot about that. Remember, remember when all that, Everybody
4: remember, thought that the world was going to end at Y two K. We had just
3: gotten out of yeah, college. yeah, and what was Y? Yeah, two K. <laughs> and then we had just gotten out of college, and no one could find a job. Of course, I don't think anybody coming. Excuse me, out of college was finding jobs. That's still mm-hmm. a thing, right? Yeah, I think that's. Everybody was saying we were going to be horrible. Our generation was whatever. Then that happened, and then we got hit. I forgot about that, man. Yeah. And that changed everybody's perspective.
1: And that changed me. And I was very sad and distraught with the state of the world. But I'm Canadian. It doesn't, you know, it didn't didn't make sense to join the military. But I was very. A line was drawn in the sand, and said, "This world is messed up. I'm going to try and do something about it." And that went along with other books that I had been reading and and learning that you know the happiest people seem to be giving back a heck of a lot more than i was at the time so i was new to vancouver at the time and there's a neighborhood in vancouver called the downtown east side which is the poorest postal code in canada it's abject poverty for about a six block radius um driving through there it's it's like driving through you know areas of san francisco kind of thing but just you know tent cities and and abject drug use it's a lot worse now than it was then but I always had compassion for people who, who use drugs. I had used drugs growing up and felt that, you know, kudos to my parents. I didn't have any traumatic childhood I was self-medicating with. And my mother was always very adamant about addiction. She's like, don't do that, you'll get addicted. Don't do that, you'll get addicted. So I kind of kept everything at a relatively safe distance, but always had compassion for people who fell a little deeper And I just started looking at how I might be able to help that neighborhood and how I could give back. So I volunteered down there a little bit, but essentially it turned into about a 10 year project where I just went down when I could. I knew I had no true skills to offer the situation. Like I didn't go to school for whatever, social work, whatever, but I thought maybe that would be an asset. Maybe I'd be able to find a new way to help and In 2005, right after I got off cruise ships. Oh, no, that was 2005 before I went on cruise ships. um, The tech company I worked for, I sold some stock options at a good time, had a bit of money, went to Costa Rica for four months, learned how to surf, came back and said, I'm going to do what I can to help the downtown east side. So I actually moved in down there, really dug in for a month. I I lasted a month. really tried to dig in to see what could be done, Uh, made contact then with Vandu, which is the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, and saw what harm reduction could do and learned a lot in that period, but then ran out of money, got the job on cruise ships, got married, moved back to Vancouver, and once I had a job and was a bit stable again, started looking at how I could help the downtown east side again. So... The lady who started Van Du is a woman by the name of Anne Livingston. She's kind of a legend down there as far as the amazing thing that she's pulled off, things that she's pulled off. And I arranged a meeting with her. And during that meeting with her, which she graciously took, and we chatted for about three hours, and I basically said, look, I'm just looking at how I can give back. What do you think, what do you think the neighborhood needs? Is there anything I could offer? And we didn't think very much in the first couple hours, but then there was a binder on the wall on a shelf, just like the one behind you. And it said Ibogaine on it. And I said, what about Ibogaine? And she said, actually, I have people calling me for that all the time. And I had heard about it. Um, so my, my experience with psychedelics started relatively early. I, the first time I ever consumed LSD, I was 14 years old. And it was just, it was, I had you said to me that a year before that, that that was gonna happen, I would have said, no, I was totally just say no to drugs. I was completely indoctrinated into that. But then um, a guy who made a lot of LSD in the 60s, Nick Sand, um, he was running away from the law enforcement in the Bay Area and moved to Canada and set up shop in the mid nineties in Canada and made millions of hits of acid with a guy who's now a friend named Peter Vander Hayden. So that just ended up in my high school and in my hand and innocently on my way to a movie. I took half of this. I was going to meet some friends and that was my first experience with psychedelics. And it, I didn't, I had no idea. What was that even like? It was just kind of fun and nice and, the word I would use now that, that wouldn't have been available to me then is enlightening. Like it just felt as though I had no idea that there was a therapeutic component to psychedelics then.
3: Not to interrupt you, but you said something to me earlier. What does psychedelic mean?
1: Psychedelic means, so psyche, if you look in the Oxford English dictionary, the first definition is soul. The next set definition is mind. So we know the word psyche. Um, and then delic comes from the Greek delos, which means to manifest. So psychedelic actually means soul or mind manifesting. That's like a mental which exercise. Is a, which is coming, exactly right? what it does, right? Yeah. It's a perfect word for it. It's got a lot well, of baggage. Well, if you know what it means. It's got a like, lot of right. baggage.
3: That's right. But it's a perfect word sure. for it. Sure. Yeah. And we're kind of in a time in our, our country right now where a lot of words have a lot of baggage. Yeah. And I never understood what that meant. Yeah. Right? Until, yeah. You, until, yeah. You, until you're... Until yeah. you're to you're attached to one, yeah, right, and I because when people say it and they start talking about it, I'm like, man, you know, there's there are things down here you can take to go have a fun time and do all that. Yeah. Some of this stuff is not,
1: yeah. Well, in this new psychedelic renaissance, there are some people who are were very much responsible for that renaissance, and one of them is Rick Doblin, who's a friend of mine. He started MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. I served on the board of directors for MAPS Canada, um, but in hearing stories from him i think it was but there were there were a bunch of them who were advancing psychedelics and they actually had the conversation like what word should we use and they they knew that psychedelic had a lot of baggage but they they went back to it and they said it's actually the best word we it, just yeah. we just need to rebrand it and that's what's happening now so i experienced lsd at that age And um, didn't know about the potential therapeutic effects, but I remember saying to my buddies when we were taking it one day, I'm like, this is what adults have forgotten that has made the world so screwed up. So even though I didn't know about the therapeutic potential, the therapeutic potential was coming through nonetheless. Hmm.
4: Did your friends take it too? Yeah. Did they have it? Yeah, that was my
1: first time. And then there was just a bunch of it after that for a little while. And then it tapered off and we didn't Mm -hmm. anymore, but... There were a couple of summers there, one summer in particular that was a lot of fun. Quite Did anybody frankly.
4: have any bad trips with it?
1: Um, you know, you can get into those kind of fearful feedback loops at certain points. But especially if you're around a lot of friends who love you, you can kind of pull somebody through that. Um you know, as, as I, w- I would say today within the context I work with psychedelics, that, you know, there isn't really a bad trip. There's challenging situations, and can you learn from them? And what do they have to teach you? That's what it all is. Yeah.
3: That's another one of those things. When it's what people don't know how to explain something. They'll throw a term on it that, 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 that kind of suits it. But in, in reality, man, the way I explain something, the way you're completely different. Yeah. You know what I'm Like sometimes we'll be sitting there listening, and I was like, oh, I hear what you're saying. And I even get it. I wouldn't explain it like that, but I completely understand what you're saying. And when, when, with, with some of the deal, just the way that people come out of that. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear people say, look, I now, when someone tells you they've been to hell on that stuff and you know, cause you've been there, you're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know what that yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. It's true. That yeah. Right. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But then you definitely pull something out of it. Yeah. That's, that's I've the, learned, I
1: was telling you guys before I've, there was, I've done ayahuasca a dozen times. Ten of those were the hell experience. And then I finally got the lesson, you know, but there was a lesson. I'd call every single one of those a bad trip. You know, it wasn't enjoyable at all. But then there was a golden nugget inside of all of it.
4: So when you saw the sign that said Ibogaine, did you know what that was? Or Iboga? That's first yeah. yeah. Is that,
3: first, I just got a question. Is that the first time you had ever seen the word or heard about it?
1: No. So exposure when i was super young to psychedelics moved to whistler i think in whistler we had mushrooms sometimes uh, moved to vancouver another incredible coincidence i was uh an aussie buzzy buddy was visiting vancouver we watched fear and loathing in las vegas i happened to mention to him oh i haven't had psychedelics in a while It'd be cool to find some the very next day i'm walking down commercial drive in Vancouver and there's a shop across the street called the urban shaman and I'm like there's no way I know what shamans do they wouldn't have anything like that in there would they and sure enough they sold a bunch of legal entheogens like uh, salvia divinorum is the one I tried that day Um, but then I hung out at that shop it had an area with a beanbag chair a lot of cool people came through I actually became dear friends with the woman that owned it and Became her roommate. She had a daughter that she wouldn't really trust anybody else to live there. But I lived there, and we're all still super close. Um, then it was in that shop I first heard of iboga, and I heard of iboga, this African psychedelic. That uh, I was poor at the time. It it cost five hundred dollars for a dose and put you on a twenty four hour long journey. I'm like, no way. I'm never trying that stuff <laughs> ironically. And I heard kind of just had heard that it's good for drug addiction then, heard that it was good at getting people off heroin, but didn't really it didn't really click. And then when I was sitting there in that room and I saw Ibogaine on the bo- the wall, I'm like what about Ibogaine? Because one of the biggest problems in the downtown East Side is is people using opiates. And getting physically addicted to opiates. And she said, Yeah, I'm getting calls all the time for it because there had been an Ibogaine was legal in Canada when I started working with it. And there had been another Ibogaine provider who had shut down, but the website was still up and said, If people are looking for information, you might want to call Anne. So pe- people were calling her, and she, I said, Well, let me follow that thread. And then anytime she got a call from that point forward, she would forward it to me. And I gave it to a couple of people right out of the gate. Uh, The first, this is crazy to talk about. um, The first person I ever gave Ibogaine to was a 72-year-old man who wanted to quit smoking. Oh, my gosh. And then that same night, his 69-year-old partner, who was the one who actually called and was seeking it. And... I'm Ibogaine's potentially dangerous. That's why it's kind of the dark horse of the psychedelic world. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm just super lucky nobody got hurt. And I saw really quickly I didn't know what I was doing. So the phone still rang, but I basically said, um, You need to go to Mexico. If you are going to do it on your own, here's what little I know and tread carefully. And then did in, the guy
4: stop smoking?
1: I think he did, yeah. Yeah. Did
4: it scare the shit out of him? It scared the shit out of him. Oh I didn't gosh. give him enough
1: medicine. He was moving around like it was Oh my god. He, he was moving around and in this dream world between worlds. And the crazy thing is it seemed to be going nice and smooth. And then this woman was like, Oh, well, maybe I'll just do it then. Oh my god. So I gave it to both of them, and then he started moving, and then I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh, no. But after years of seeking for purpose, I remember we rented this crappy little hotel room in Vancouver to do it. But I remember just as things got launched, I stepped out onto the balcony overlooking Vancouver and I had this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like it was so clear. Like it, the the medicine spoke to me. Yeah. I hadn't even done it yet. That's the other crazy thing. Like this is, these are cardinal sins in... The psychedelic world is don't give people medicine unless you've done it, especially Ibogaine. But then I, um, in 2012, I got a call from Ann Livingston, that same woman, and she said, hey, did you know there's an Ibogaine providers conference in town? And I didn't know. And she said, well, I put your name on the list as a provider. You should go down. So that is where I met Jonathan Dickinson, who was organizing that conference and he's now my current business partner in what we're doing now. But um, I bought a t-shirt from him. I've still got that t-shirt. And I met a whole bunch of people who did know what they were doing with Ibogaine. And one of those guys became my business partner in my first business giving Ibogaine Liberty Root Therapy Limited. Um, he had been to Mexico and apprenticed with people on how to give the medicine. Excuse me. And he um, he it was very clear that he wanted to work with the medicine I wasn't so sure because of the experiences I had had, but, um, he, but I said, when the phone rings the next time, let's see what we can do. So the phone rang, it was a father calling on behalf of his 28 year old and 32 year old sons, both addicted to heroin and the 28 year old's girlfriend. And I, we treated the 28 year olds, um, one weekend and then the 32 year old, a couple weekends later, it went really well. We looked at each other we said there's obviously a need for this and uh and we started we found a house and dedicated it towards giving people ibogaine to help them get off opiates ibogaine is the only substance we know of that you can take somebody who is in physical opiate withdrawal so getting addicted to opiates is not like getting addicted to other substances A, a lot most a lot of other substances there's just a uh, psychological addiction. With opiates, it's actually a physical addiction. So as you take opiates in your own ability to produce endorphins, which is our natural opiates, that gets shut down. So if you don't take the opiate, then you don't have the painkiller in you. And there's a, there's a pain to gravity you know, that we don't notice because we all have endorphins taking away that pain.
3: That's the best way I've ever heard it explained. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like the, there's life is painful.
3: Life is painful. Yeah. As soon as you're born in here, there is a pressure. Yeah. And then you put weight on. Yes. You literally put weight on you. Right. So uh, there, there is that too. And, I, and no one ever explains that part is that the, the opioids being jerked out away. Yeah. As you're walking Your body there,
1: ca- doesn't produce the endogenous opiates anymore. And then if you don't get those opiates from outside again, all of a sudden you feel the pain of gravity again, and it's painful, and it comes with flu-like symptoms, and and it's just the worst. Yeah, is that
4: what like people would describe fibromyalgia or something like that? Like a constant chronic pain that's really not for a specific reason.
1: Maybe ibogaine's good for fibromyalgia. Okay, but I don't know. Like I hear just like the worst flu
3: you've ever had. Mm. It's the worst. Yeah.
4: Coming oh, off of opiates? Yeah. Oh.
1: Coming off of opiates. After yeah. a
3: surgery, you have to get on those and you got to quit. I mean, it's like, the, it's having the flu and then the shakes and the tremors and there's these little aches and pains and it's... And
1: the depression.
3: The, yeah. And there's a roller coaster ride of all that and it's a nonstop, yeah. you know, nausea and man, it's just, it's, it's the worst for so days. So Ibogaine was really
1: discovered in the Western world, um, the ability of... get people off opiates was a gentleman by the name of howard lotsoff in 1962 in new york city he was addicted to heroin he was having lunch with a chemist friend who said hey you should try this this ibogaine stuff i've had it in my freezer for a while gave it to him he tried it he had no idea what he was getting in for um basically went on this horrific 24-hour journey came out the other end said wow i'm never gonna try that again but then all of a sudden noticed this peace within him. And he realized, wow, I haven't wanted heroin the whole time I've been on this, nor do I want it now. So that's when its anti-addictive properties were discovered. So that primarily what we did in Vancouver was treat people for opioid use disorder. We treated a few vets through that time as well. But we treated about 200 people from 2012 through until 2017. And then Health Canada changed the regulatory status. Of Ibogaine in Canada so I wasn't able to legally work with it there. Why would they since. change
4: it if it was helping people? So
1: it was actually wise because Ibogaine the the reason I was able to legally work with it is it, it was and there was still a bit of gray area I was navigating for sure but the reason it was um, I was able to is because it was listed as a natural health product and like Vitamin C is a natural health product, ginkgo biloba, and a natural health product shouldn't be potentially dangerous, and ibogaine is. So, well, enough of
3: the key, I just like vitamin C and aspirin and O2. Yeah, I guess those could be too, right? At all, yeah, yeah. everything. But, uh, health I think Canada, life is designed to kill us.
1: It is, yeah. Well, the only true cause of death is birth. Yeah. Boom! Right yeah. there, you're, you're learning how to live. What you actually yeah. coming in here to die? Yeah, exactly. Or actually, we
3: start dying the minute you're born. Yeah. So this is where you have an experienced death. Yeah. it's just kind of stretched out. How about that? Yeah, let's do it that way. Yeah, that's so they saying. put it on.
1: Instead, they put it on the prescription drug list. Mm. So they didn't make it illegal. Uh, what what which category? Is cool. Just on the prescription drug list but it has not gone through clinical trials yet so it doesn't have a drug identifier oh, would, number how would you even, so yeah. you can't get it you, how would you still even, can't yeah, prescribe I even it
3: imagine how they would do that
1: yeah yeah well, I, yeah there's some people working on clinical trials for ibogaine. we'll see well
3: i can understand now because of, you know you got the testing and then there's the it always yeah. is the word of mouth right yeah the minute it helps somebody starting with the doc
1: well, yeah, I think the biggest thing that's, ever, that's happened to Ibogaine is, you know, sadly, just because of the state of the world, not, you know, people see addiction as something that somebody has chosen for themselves, and then therefore, they deserve it. Yeah. You know, a more enlightened way of seeing it would be people have suffered a lot of trauma, all of a sudden, they experience a substance that takes away that pain, and that becomes very attractive. And then they become physically addicted to it.
3: And then the, the, some of that stuff can grab you and get a hold of you. And there's people down here who are not designed for that kind of action. Yeah, they, they, they don't know how to fight back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just yeah, don't. Yeah, then it's not their yeah, fault. Yeah, that's not their fault. But for people to say that they just kind of ha- haphazard like, yeah, yeah, that's not how it works. Some some of them, like I didn't I didn't have a choice. I got hurt, and then you get on it. Yeah,
4: right. Well, I mean, we for people that are listening. I mean, Marcus had multiple surgeries. The pain pills that were prescribed post surgery—that is what it became—an addiction.
3: Well, if I wouldn't take them, then I would always be in pain. I wouldn't heal. So the yeah. doctors like, "Got to take these to hold you down." And I can understand that cycle. I could also how how people who 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 aren't injured who just take them for fun mm-hmm. and they get on that suck that sucker. I was like, "Hey man, it's tough." Yeah. Like I had to do that all the time, and it was an ass kicker.
4: Right, but you would have never taken those. If it weren't no, and I was always wanting surgery. to
3: get off of them. That was the thing, man. It's just it was it's a never it was a cycle for me because well, by the time I got off them, I'd have to have another surgery, so it started over for me.
1: And then that's the other thing is in the uh, mid nineties, Purdue came out with OxyContin and marketed marketed it like crazy to doctors and said it was a non addictive, really painkiller. Yeah. wow which they've been sued, and, you know, I don't think Purdue's around anymore. But lots of, uh, I wonder if they're around anymore. But, you know, that's how people get addicted is so many of these doctors were just shoving these in, in people's mouths sure, without you giving can take any that, warning that yeah. it might be addictive.
3: You can give it without that the ride. There's You can give that substance with, you know, just take the pain away. It won't give you that yeah, calm. yeah. But I didn't know pe- that,
1: but then people would crush it up, snort it, so, yeah, yeah, the yeah. There's always something. But where I where I was going is, ibogaine is good for addiction. Sadly, people who are addicted to substances are not the highest priority of the whatever aspect of society decides. Soldiers, however, veterans, however, who are now finding that ibogaine is fixing. We're ahead of the list. All the pain <laughs> yeah. of con, of of conflict, everything that happened to them while they were deployed, uh, seems to be helping with traumatic brain injuries. Now people are like, oh, let's look at this ibogaine thing, mm-hmm. because you know you're talking about a different echelon of people within society. And a different, so I think that's the best thing that's happened to ibogaine in the last ten years is is you guys going through
3: the experience. Well, I was, hearing, I was listening to you talk earlier when you're talking about, hey, I hadn't done psychedelics in a while. See if there's a shop. In my mind, it's like, hey, I hadn't had a brain surgery in a while. Let's see if there's a doctor around. Yeah. It's that kind of severity yeah. to me. Yeah. But what we're talking about in the levels of there are medicines out here that are designed for you to have a good time on your wine and spirits and everything like that. And then there's medicines down here that already fix you.
4: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, personally, I would never call Ibogaine a drug.
3: Mm-hmm. It,
4: it's, I, it I is I don't a even medicine. Word yeah.
3: Put on that, man.
4: Because I'm not pro-drug at all. I I've never have been. I'm definitely one of the say-no-to-drug kids, mm-hmm. and I just – I don't understand it. But medicine, I understand. And Now, I hate the idea of prescription medicine. I hate the idea of having to take something all of the time for uh, – an illness or whatever. So Earth, if, yeah,
3: because that's not this either. You can't take it all. The if time. there <laughs> is,
4: if there is a cure for something, which is very rare, we hear the word cure anymore. There's always something for you to take forever. Mm-hmm. And with with Marcus, with other um, veterans that I've seen, and I've seen so many um, that were either became addicted to opiates because of surgeries not mm-hmm. that they were just people that wanted to pop them for fun but they they were kind of forced into this addiction and and they sometimes start kept taking them because it numbed
1: cuz they, work.
4: they worked they worked and it, it all numbs those some kind of trauma or you know whatever it becomes a mind thing too i think but um this medicine gets them off of it, and they never want to take the it's like, pills hey this again. God
3: was the pharmacist on this, and he's like, hey, I'm I'm not here to get you strung out on something. I'm here to cure you, fix you, and get your head going away, take that, and boom. boom. Yeah. I mean, he did it like that. Yeah.
4: What's so fascinating to me, though, is it's not just for veterans and not just for addicts. This can actually help other people, like young ladies that have been raped, mm-hmm. that have had some sort of traumatic experience, or or young men, I mean it doesn't have to we don't have to put a gender on this. We've there are men and women that have had traumatic experiences in their life that it might not be an opiate addiction or alcoholism, but they have some crutch, whether it's an eating disorder mm. or they, there's something that they make up for having experienced trauma. And Ibogaine can help that. Yeah. That's incredible to me. And why aren't we talking about it more as a society? And I heard it on the news, I was telling you earlier. Last night they kind of they were talking about Aaron Rodgers and they kind of like laughed at him going to seek healing in Costa Rica and called it this ceremony where you puke or whatever. Yes, you might puke, but it's healing him. Mm-hmm. There this we're talking about something that's life-changing and that is he, not only life-changing but healing. It's making someone better.
3: Yeah, you know when you get sick and you throw up, you're not getting sick, you're getting better. Yeah, that that that's what the throwing up part is—the fever and throwing up. That's you're actually getting better. Yeah, the sick part was right before that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
4: But if we could, as a society, like you started this because you started to get into it because you wanted to make the world a better place and you wanted to help, you had a soft spot for the addicts that were in the uh, neighborhood that had a high concentration of that. Think of all of those tent cities. Around yeah. the world, think of not only those, but think of all the people that have had trauma and how they treat their wives or their husbands because of that trauma, yeah. all of the divorces that happen, the generational chains that go along with trauma. this can stop that. Yeah. This can heal our entire generation if we're open to it.
1: yeah that's pretty powerful yeah. it has it has this amazing. Quality of reset like it's like people who suffer trauma and have those post-traumatic stress symptoms Mm -hmm. uh it seems to be able to press reset on their nervous system and give them an opportunity to not run those same hellish patterns anymore and yet it's it's not just soldiers It, it we have treated people for eating disorder successfully um it's 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 just angry people that one of the biggest things that I'm seeing in, in the vets that I'm treating is they're tired of the rage that they have for no reason. They are losing their shit on people. And that's one of the biggest things that Ibogaine seems to be able to help them with is they just, they're chilled out on the airport on the way home for the first time in decades. You know, Uh, it's very good at treating depression and lifting people out of that. So, so many of the, I have a friend, Dr. Gabor Mate, who has a book that's out right now, I think it's probably on the bestseller list, called The Myth of Normal. And that's what he's saying. He's a doctor that focuses on people's trauma. And he's saying, just because of the world we've grown up in, nobody does not suffer from trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a myth of normal. It shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't be stimulated in the way we are. So it's really able to take that just the pain of, of everyday life and give everybody a reset. And the metaphor I often use is it's like, as we live life, we're seeing life through a pane of glass and like a filter. And as our heart gets broken, as we suffer traumas, big traumas, small traumas, that glass gets dirty and it gets so dirty that we don't even recognize it's dirty anymore. And what these psychedelic substances seem to be able to do is clean that glass from the inside out. I don't feel like they bring you some missing piece of the puzzle and then you're finally healed. I think it's just cleaning that filter out again. Mm-hmm. And then once that filter's clean, it's like, oh, actually, life is awesome.
4: Right. I I saw on, I because I follow the vets' uh, social media, um, the Veteran Solution social media, and I saw uh, there was a post about... Uh, It was an article about um, special forces being healed by the medicine or um, breaking alcoholic addiction. Um, And there was a comment on there. Someone commented, yeah, give a crutch for a crutch. And that made me so mad. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, it's not a crutch because it's not something you continue to do. Yeah, Um, And I didn't comment on it, but I just kept thinking to myself, gosh, I wish I could tell that person it's, this isn't a crutch for a crutch. This is a healing for something that's broken. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like so many people need to hear that. This isn't a drug for a drug or one drug to get rid of another. This is a medicine to stop a pattern that's going downhill.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, if you look at schedule one, so Ibogaine's on schedule one, which means it has no medical use and that it's got a high rate of abuse. And the Ibogaine obviously has a medical use. It's helping people get off yeah, trauma. We scheduled that, didn't even Yeah. It. And it's got a high rate of abuse. There's Nobody's abusing Ibogaine. Mm. It's one of the most unpleasant drugs you could imagine. But so I think that's in getting, I think that would be, I think, Rescheduling ibogaine in the United
3: States—that's
4: that's, is
1: how, that's a light way of putting that. Yeah,
4: <laughs> how who does that? you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. Like, there's
3: no way to put how unpleasant that yeah. sucker is.
4: Who schedules that? Who's the in charge
3: of it?
1: Is the it DA? DEA? Yeah. I think you have a brother that might be able
3: to start. <laughs> I to yeah, I got to call some of them up, that. man. I'm like, hey, guys, yeah. you, know, it's big. Like you I, know what happens? That because be that a because good
1: a- step forward, is it doesn't need to be in schedule one, which makes it really hard to research it. That's the biggest pain in the ass, is it just re- makes it super hard and lots of red tape in order to research Ibogaine properly. But if you change the scheduling, which shouldn't be that hard and only makes sense because it's not scheduled properly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Anybody seen The Matrix?
1: Yeah, like. we've all seen the major. When you
3: plug into that. Yeah. When he sits down in front of that mirror, and I put my fingers in front of the mirror, and then it sucked you through there. Who was it someone I was sitting with says, like, imagine sucking through a keyhole backwards. <laughs> There's so many analogies. That's the best. It gives you, it's like each person that goes through it, it gives you one to tell everybody. Like, hey, yeah. say this. Yeah. Because when you say it, it resonates with me. I mean, like, it, it just kind of does, right? And when I when I went in there, it just... I'd never done any drugs or anything like that to where, where where it would separate all three of my mind, body and spirit, to go to work on me and if you don't if you don't know that that's happening, it can be weird, mm-hmm. and weird' is the only word I got but then I, I, it's individual, like I'm a fighter, so it had to grip my attention, and it got my and the way you do that is to whip my ass real bad, and it did that to me, and so it got my respect and my attention. And uh, we were kind of talking about that earlier. It's like some people, they'll act a certain way, and that's because an alpha's walked in. And when one of those suckers walk in, you know it. And that's what Ibogaine is, an alpha.
4: You deep. mean physically it made you feel sick? It, no, I, it's, not, it's not. When you say whip your ass, like for someone that's never heard of this medicine or that has no idea... How, how do you explain how you felt in that moment? Okay,
3: so everyone knows my history and what I've been through in life. And when I tell you I get my ass whipped, it, it, it means getting thrown off a mountain, everybody dying. That's an ass whipping to me. So when I tell you this thing whipped my ass, it's equal to that. Yeah. This is what it did to me. In every regard, mind, body, and spirit.
4: And then to get it, my attention. <laughs> at, how, like at what point did you come out of it where you were like, what the fuck did I just go through?
3: It took me to the, all the way to the bottom. But the whole time it was with it's a weird i mean i i've never i need to really think about how to explain it because you know i'll have it once i once it gives me the ability to explain in, in, in that regard
1: i think it's so interesting <laughs> and this is something that we say to people is that you know ibogaine has the potential to keep working on you and with you it's like you come and do the medicine and it's like a seed is planted, and then things start it unfolding. Grows. And it's, it's six months later that things are really interesting. You're in a completely different spot. How about that? Yeah, you still are getting insights from it. H- how
3: about that? Yeah. And you, you more than just you, about uh, anybody I've met. <laughs> hey, when, that, when it gives you options, like when you're sitting there and a scenario presents itself, and then these options start running in your head of what, what can go down, yeah. that's a different world altogether. It's the most magnificent... I, I, like was, I've studied, trained my whole life, and I, don't, I, can, I can't explain. what It's like having a teacher there with you at all times. But, I mean, it's like you you got to show respect. Yeah. you got to do what it says. You gotta, when, you, when you said to me earlier, it's like, hey, I have a relationship with, with it. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard it put like that, but that's what that is. And uh, everybody who goes through it does that. It's like volunteering for, a, for, a, for something yeah. when you walk in there. And you don't have any idea what it is. That's why it's so important when I say, hey, man, what are your intentions? I didn't understand what that was either until it, it, it put it in my head. It's like, okay, so when you were working security at the bars, like when I was a bouncer at all these bars and people would walk up to me, normally I could see their intentions walking up. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, hey, what are your intentions when you walk in? Are you here to have a good time or are you here to cause me some problems?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It's like that. It's like, why do you want to come in here? That's why like, you can't abuse gain. No. It's like going up and talking smack to your granddad. Or somebody who really knows it's business, yeah because <laughs> you think you know it you you think you have a grip on what it, what this place is down here, but hmm yeah,
1: that's one of the biggest uh, kind of ways I prepare people is you can't fight with this, you know you I, I've seen guys man, I was <laughs> treated a guy it literally looked like he was wrestling, he was like he just was not allowing it to just take him, and I just went up to him and whispered, I'm like, dude. Just let it win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't don't do this to yourself. Yeah. That's when I see people suffer through ibogaine. Is when they're trying to make it stop before it's ready to stop. Otherwise, it's totally doable. And. I feel like that's horrible marketing. Marcus Luttrell, who has gone through the worst thing a human being could ever go through, is comparing Ibogaine to it. It's not <laughs> It's not that. It's, not, it's, but it's, it's for, different. It's
4: for each individual. Each
1: individual. Yeah, yeah. Each
4: individual has their own experience. But for someone who has no idea what any of this kind of talk means, when you're going through this, it's what? Like a 14-hour, 24-hour... Yeah, Mental about the first battle.
1: first twelve hours is kind of where the bells and whistles are. If you're going to have visions, which not everybody does, but everybody does generally see some kind of benefit. But um, it's kind of the first twelve hours are the, where the bells and whistles are, and the next twelve hours kind of thing. You're just as tired as you've ever been, but you can't fall asleep. So you're quite laying, yet.
4: you're physically laying down this entire time. Yeah, for so about
1: twenty four hours. Okay,
4: so you're taking it like a pill. You're taking a pill yeah. at. Sundown. Or yeah. So. so the
1: way we work is we bring people down. Um, we get everybody, groups of up to five people generally for this protocol. It's different if we're detoxing, detoxing somebody off drugs. But uh, for this protocol, we'll pick them up on a, let's say a Monday. We do a traditional Mexican sweat lodge that day at Temazcal, which is a great way to kick off the week. Um, it's how warriors in in that tradition would prepare for battle. So I say there's three peaks this week. There's, the first peak is the, the Temazcal. Then uh, the next day, there's some breath work in the morning. It's great to connect with your breath before you do Ibogaine. Um, some group work to, to prepare. We've got an on-site therapist. Um, I'm generally there as well. And then some... Some food, kind of your last meal before the Ibogaine at lunchtime, some massage therapy in the afternoon. Then we start working with the medicine around eight o'clock that night. And it is with pills. Um, You don't feel it right away. It takes anywhere from an hour to three or four hours to really kick in. And then, and we've got an incredible medical staff that's on duty. So this is, as we've mentioned, it's potentially dangerous. So you get screened medically before you come in. We give EKGs upon arrival.
3: Oh, man, you're hooked up to monitors and blood. Yeah, I mean, you got IV. You got pores an IV and O2 monitors. My, my <laughs> other
1: business uh, partner, Jose Nzunza, he's a paramedic providing. Ibogaine, for the last uh, five years, 10 years in total, five years with his own business, treated thousands of people. And he's really done more than anybody I know to really help reduce the level of danger, to really up the safety measures. So we have at least a doctor, sometimes two, and then three or four paramedics on duty every night. But then everybody goes into the treatment room, you all get a mattress. And then you're basically going in for the journey at that point.
3: What are the. Inception. You've seen the movie Inception? Yeah. Kind of like that. So Matrix and with the Inception part. Yeah. Going in. Some people said it takes a while. Last time, I, I went in quick.
1: Yeah, you did go in super quick. Last it was time. waiting on me. Yeah. It, really it was just it free <laughs> waiting really on me. Was. Do you want to say some of the things that happened on that journey? I think that's super interesting. The the metal thing. How about that? Yeah. So I had
3: me, a, while I was in, I was having a surgery and it was putting. Imagine
4: this all, is a vision you're having,
3: it's happening to me, right? Yeah, yeah, vi- oh yeah, yeah, while I'm going through it it's, it's in, in my head. While but I'm, to you, it's as real it's as, as I'm here, here. Is, is, uh, as I'm right here,
4: right? Yeah. But for the person listening, I'm laying this is in my head,
3: and yeah. I'm in this surgery, and it's putting armor on me, like grafting it to my skin inside of me instead of me wearing it, and it's heating me up. But in real life, It was heating me up. You were sweating buckets, (laughs) and they were giving me all this stuff to calm. My my heart rate flew through the roof, and they were just kind of trying to cool me down. And and then, right when the surgery was over, it went it went away. So everything that I was reacting to in my well, just just like the Matrix. Yeah. When I was in there, whatever happens to me in there happens to me.
4: But just to clarify for people that are listening that don't know what the heck this is. This is just happening in your head. Right, yeah. You are not really being... It is like the movie Inception. Like yeah. They, it, yeah. It, but
3: the only it's cavity. like a
1: lucid dream
3: type yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, the caveat yeah. to that was it, it was happening. Actually, the reaction right. was happening to Yeah, me. the
4: physical reaction right. of the heat was right. happening. Like, Trevor was worried that your heart rate was getting too high and all of that. But he's not seeing that you're getting... Armor melted into yeah, your veins. Yeah, I didn't veins.
1: see
3: that. I didn't
4: find yeah. out
1: about that yeah, until yeah. the <laughs> next day. The adamantium or whatever that. Uh, oh, the best ones has, is my IV right? port came out. of.
3: My <laughs> IV port came out, and I came out from underneath the blanket. I mean, I was covered in blood. Remember that? I was just kind of like, what? <laughs> like reborn. Yeah. And what it was was it, what it was telling me was like, after everything that you've been through, you have armor on you that, that helps you get through life.
4: The armor of God.
3: Yeah, it was reminding me of, of what I was capable of, what's been actually happened to me. Because you get so fast in life, you, for, you can overlook it. You can overlook the wonderful things and scenarios that life throws at you and what it actually does to you because it'll put another one on you. And if, you, if they're stacked together so close, you can, you can miss your good time. Yeah. You, you cannot understand what it is you're truly capable of if someone's not there to point it out. And that, that's what this does. It reminds me constantly.
4: So what are some of the things, medical things that would prevent someone from being able to do this?
3: So
1: the where the danger lies is um, Ibogaine prolongs the QT interval of the heart rate, which is basically the space in between the top and the bottom chambers firing. So the lots of medications prolong the QT interval. You could pull it up on the internet and there's hundreds of medications. So if you already have a prolonged QT interval, that's mostly what we're looking out for because to prolong a QT of of an already prolonged QT interval, that's where danger comes in. Mm. So that's why we're doing all the check with the heart. There's other, you know, we're just, we're looking for general health. Anybody that's generally healthy and then doesn't have, uh, a prolonged QT interval, can can generally receive Ibogaine. But then there's contraindications with medications, so people need to come off psych That's a big one.
3: Because I don't think it, 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 it's almost like when, when guys who drink, if you drink one type of whiskey, if you drink Jack Daniels, it, Jack and Jim Beam don't get along. They argue. You throw a Jose in there, right? <laughs> then it's a freaking part. You know what, You understand where I'm going with yeah. that? So when people show up on a whole bunch of stuff, and yeah. then they, they throw Ibogaine in there, man, he'll go to whipping everybody. He's like the bouncer.
1: People need to come off psych meds.
3: everything. Um,
1: We need people off most prescription drugs, most psychiatric drugs for at least five days prior to arrival. And we ask that, and that's another aspect of the healthcare system is doctors are throwing these medications at people um, which may or may not be working, maybe mostly not working, and then they have no idea that they have withdrawal symptoms as well. So it can be super challenging and you need to taper very carefully. So we do that in conjunction with either their doctor or we can help write up a a tapering schedule to come off those medications.
3: When you you see something work like this does and then you see the commercials on TV and how loose people play with the pharmaceuticals that they allow our our countrymen to put in their body and what it does, they don't have any idea. mm -hmm. Matter of fact, now they're coming up with other medications Mm -hmm. to give you for the side effects that the other one gives you. That's the game. What a racket. How about that?
4: When you're talking to uh, doctors, getting someone off of meds, preparing them to come down, are they okay with this? More and more
1: are. In the more than 10 years now that I've been working with psychedelics professionally, the conversation has changed like crazy. Hmm. And again, I think it has a lot to do with veterans receiving the medicines, um, a lot to do with you know, Rick Doblin, who started MAPS. He or our was, doctors,
3: too. Once they start taking it. I mean, yeah, our healer, they, what's our treated, healers? we treated doctors. Hey, I, I know. And I know a few of them. Once they see, once you put a doctor, that in a doctor, an actual healer sees what a healer is supposed to be doing, and you put them two to get you buddy them back up. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. This is when I we know, shift gears and like we start to go. I know an old,
1: uh, uh, he's no longer, but he was the head of psychiatry of a, a region up in, in British Columbia. And he realized after years of working with these psych meds that the only thing I can ethically do now is help people get off these medications. Mm-hmm. And then he learned about psychedelics and their benefits. So he's all about that now. But the conversation's definitely changing. I spoke to an incredible VA psychiatrist once who was all about helping his guy get down. And uh, yeah, I think Most the, the, the conversation's going to change, change the rule, a lot. Yeah, the change Everybody the rule, wants yeah. the clinical trials. The clinical right, trials right, are yeah, coming. Yeah. Once the clinical trials are there, once they've got the, the evidence, then it's going to be super easy. So to is it time for us to have
3: another meeting of the minds? Like back in Constantinople when all the brains <laughs> came into, You know what I mean? Is it? Are we, are we about there yet when all the medical professionals, everybody get together and they rewrite like, hey, we know this works now. It, we need to change some of this stuff up because the new and the old are kind of clashing. Is that? Ha- I think is that,
1: Oh man, that'd be beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like be beautiful.
3: It makes it beautiful mentioned... to have it. Like some country, some badass country, yeah. get every professional you got in there for a couple weeks to hash this stuff, or however long it takes. Yeah.
4: In my head, I'm picturing. Remember the um, thing when we were kids. We are the world. Yeah. When everybody like joined hands and yeah. did this huge that song, all the different singers. It's like everyone getting together and discussing a cure. Yeah. And I, we know. need
1: to we need to jig the system because the system is against these things now. In in order to develop ibogaine as a pharmaceutical. Um, Normally you need the money that only pharmaceutical companies has in order to do that. Yeah. So the States need to get involved, but it's like, I don't need clinical trials to know that this works, but I'm more than happy to help clinical trials get done. But I think that's where we're at is so many people just know they work. Okay. How can we take that? Let's start with that and rejig the whole system how about around
3: that? it. How-, how about that for Intel? The, the, we don't have a, the, there is information now but there wasn't a scratch of it, but everyone's going to do it. Mm-hmm. There are things down here that when we all start doing, they absolutely work. When there's no question about it, that you don't need that piece of paper. Just to look on that dude's face and the way he acts yeah. told me all I needed to see because I saw him before he went in,
2: mm-hmm.
3: period. Yeah, He wasn't trying to push it on me, when wasn't trying to sell me, nothing. Matter of fact, he told me not to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, think about that. He's like, man, such an ass whooping, he told me that. Yeah. And when you when you got somebody when they're talking like that, then you then people will listen. Yeah, and that's why even our docs, man, a lot of times the system is designed to buck everything back out. But it's, it don't. If you look at it like that, yeah. But it's also the system; it doesn't know any better. Yeah, it's its own thing. Yeah. So as time changes, it's incumbent upon us to have our meeting in the minds. It's not a big. I, I think everybody would love to do that actually. Yeah.
4: Do you I mean, do you ever think that it will actually be available in the U.S. clinically? Yeah, I think
1: so. Um, there's multiple movements afoot. I think one of the big ones is the rescheduling, like we've talked about. I don't think that's an impossible thing to do. I think that's super low-hanging fruit. Ibogaine obviously shouldn't be in Schedule 1. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good step forward. I know of a couple groups are working towards clinical trials. One group that's working towards clinical trials to, sh- to show to turn Ibogaine into a prescription for treating um, opioid use disorder. I know of at least one group working towards clinical trials to treat ibog- for Ibogaine to help with traumatic brain injuries like it's showing to do with veterans. Once it's gone through the clinical trial process, then it will be available as a prescription. It's still got a long way to go. Yeah, but how tough is but that? How you you gonna co- that? How are you going to
3: do that? Because you can have a coach. You've got to yeah. have somebody walking you through that. It's I huge.
1: Mean, it's huge. Like even... So uh, Rick has taken... MDMA through the clinical trial process for MDMA, it's gone MDMA plus therapy is will be a prescription within two to three years, three to four years within the states. But that alone, that's got therapy before the first dose, there, the then the first dose, then therapy. After the first dose, then a second dose, then more therapy. So it's going to be at least, I've heard, fifteen to $20,000 for that, which is still a bargain if you're actually fixing somebody's PTSD and they don't have to stay on antidepressants for the rest of their life or yeah. whatever. For but right, Ibogaine's yeah. that times at least 10. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah, no, right. Yeah, 10s. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs>
3: It's, man, like I don't even like laughing about it's that. Huge. Joke, that's it's huge. That's the thing. The whole stupid.
1: system is rigged against it. So I love what you're saying about a meeting of the minds. If you could get people who could actually change rules, and I think there's another irony in working with veterans who, you know, the hippies know this shit works, but now working with veterans who bring in the the conservative. Yeah, but they piss everybody people, off, right? You
3: know, there's always they, the yeah, It's just it's just that's yeah. the way it is. Everyone but now knows that
1: that. now we're getting the conservative audience right. You got them in there and who are. Who are slow to change rules. Right. Because if they're working and people aren't getting hurt, that's the wisdom of of the right way. You got to have both. Yeah, exactly. So how do we get the meeting of the minds of all the people who have the power to make the decisions and say, look, let's just rejig the system. Because that's the only way it's actually going to cure the opioid crisis and actually clean up the tent cities is you need entire federal and state cooperation to not only give the ibogaine, but how do you give ibogaine, and then somebody doesn't just go back into the town sure. city? It it needs yeah. to be it needs to be a, a Manhattan project. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. With to, you gotta fix that, that one. You gotta push push yeah. them out of
3: because you got you got to get them off of one thing, then you have got to clean them up. You got to maintain them in the in between. Then yeah. and, and you have then. to give
1: them a will to live how about that? And That's work the, Yeah, we can
3: how do, do you
4: that, could you? I mean, we'll I don't give know. up on them. Is there a way to make it a prescription where it has to be done in a hospital, where you can't just pick it up at Walgreens and go home oh, yeah, with it. Oh yeah, for sure,
1: like that that's, it would never be, it would never be, and even MDMA, it's never gonna Gee, be no just go into the pharmacy and get MDMA, yeah. it's, you have to be a therapist who is licensed to yeah. this treatment yeah. with a prescribing it's doctor who is yeah, familiar, you gotta, yeah. and you never, and at the same time, you'd never wanna do Ibogaine in a hospital setting, no, you know, yeah. like yeah. a residential Leo. treatment a facility, a very comfortable home.
4: Yeah, retreat That's setting. what
3: we're looking for. Yeah. yeah the best environment. Because when you come out, it's that peaceful. Yeah. You're leaving hell. You don't want to wake up in it. <laughs> I mean, Mike, that's kind of the way I always looked at it. And it was just slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Yeah. Slow as smooth, smooth as fast. I mean, that's what we're saying in the teams, our guys coming through and what they're doing to them. Yeah,
4: Yeah, because the uh, worst thing in the world would be to get everyone so hyped on this that you could just get it at Walgreens and someone pops it on their way
3: home. Yeah, I no. <laughs> That would you be a complete nightmare. just yeah. looking over <laughs> and home, some old dude just freaking going to work on some <laughs> Ibogaine. Yeah, just no just, thanks.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, we, I mean, we joke about this, but
3: I can't, it's not, it's not. <laughs> I know, I think uh, of it's those a, first a, people, like
1: p- Howard Lotsoff, who I mentioned mm-hmm. taking Ibogaine the first time. Not Unbelievable. Not knowing anything about what he was getting into. It's not recreational at right. all, and and I think that's it. Like, it's not about it's not about just drugs for everybody. It's yeah. not. We need the regulation. This is,
3: right. this is taking it away from us. The sobriety. Yeah, yeah. This is taken away from behind
1: what we're doing here.
4: Yeah. You don't do no
3: drugs after this. Yeah. And the that, sobriety this is, is
4: the main point, and that's what just needs to be shouted from the rooftops is the whole point of doing this is to become sober and clear-minded it's not yeah. to get on a drug it's to get off of everything the, the yeah. other
3: way it taught me to explain it was so imagine everything that you went through in life the, even the the hard and the bad ones where you like that it actually explains to you why you went through that yeah
1: it all makes and what sense. it was for
3: you ever been somewhere and you're like man what and then in the minute, someone explained why it is we do that, and you're like, oh, not only do I get it, I appreciate it. Yeah. That, that, yeah that's what it did that's for me. It.
1: That's true forgiveness. True forgiveness. Yeah.
3: And you do exactly. that, to you. It does that to yourself, and you do it, and you see it, and it's an instant change. It's like with anything else, there are certain things that the human body goes through, scenarios that we go through, that you feel it, and it's an instant change. Yeah. Like it's a, a weight lifted or removed or something. Yeah. We all know that. It's that. And yeah, it's
1: completely anti-addictive. Like it's, I, I quit drinking with zero intent to quit drinking because of an Ibogaine journey. On this Ibogaine journey, I encountered my grandfather, who's a World War II veteran. He told me I needed to stop drinking for his lineage. He had been a drinker. Um, I spoke to a tree on that journey that told me I needed to stop watering my weeds so that I could properly flower. So I woke up the next morning and said, all this stuff came up around drinking. I, you know, I probably did have a drinking problem, but the world wasn't telling me I had a drinking problem. And I knew on some level I drank wrongly. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just, I just instantly quit without any intent and without it, without it being hard. Like it just fell away. Wasn't hard at all. Wasn't hard at all. Took it away just from me just like stopped. that too. Yeah. Just like that. Just stopped. So so it does this with other substances as well. Like it it'll reset people on crystal methamphetamines. It'll like the problem if you've been addicted to something like crystal meth for a long time is if you take it away, it's hard to feel good about anything. Like you might watch the funniest show of your life, but you can't laugh and feel those same feel-good chemicals, because same thing, your your endogenous feel-good chemicals have been obliterated. Ibogaine resets that. So normal life feels good again.
4: Would you say that Ibogaine, you know, a lot of people, even a lot of veterans that come home, they feel like they've lost their purpose and they can't find it. Or even just, I mean, everyday people just feel like they don't have a purpose. They can't, they hate their nine to five, just monotonous work life or whatever. Would you say that Ibogaine tells you your purpose or gives you that feeling of, of of knowing of what to do, or at least that everything's going to be okay.
1: I think it remedies that situation. Like, I think that's one of the biggest thing working with the special forces vets is it's this operator syndrome. You've been go, go, go for 20 years. And then all of a sudden you don't have that. And you're asked to hold this baby. Like, what's your purpose? And, and my anger isn't rewarded anymore. My violence isn't rewarded anymore. So and, and we've, we've worked with professional athletes as well, retired professional athletes, that same kind of thing. I've been go, go, go. I've had the brotherhood. Now that's gone. Ibogaine seems to remedy that. And I th- I, the people may get direct messages as to what the purpose is, but I think it's more that what I mentioned before, just that cleaning of the glass from the inside out. It's just something that it does that enables you to say, actually, life is awesome. My purpose is everywhere. I I can just be happy for no reason again. I don't need the adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. to be happy or I don't need the, you know, I I think it's got something to do with that.
4: One thing I've noticed with Marcus and with um, other friends of his that have gone through is the ego death or the drama, you know, what other people are going through and that would typically make you mad, you know, he talked about my friend or something like that, that would normally fire us up and, and make you upset. All that's gone away. It's like, okay, (laughs) stop talking about whoever, like none of that matters. All of the ego is gone and stripped away.
1: Yeah. And stripped away, I think, I, I, I feel like I, people often, like to me at a certain stage of my life, if I heard that something was going to get rid of my ego, that I, that wouldn't be attractive at all. Like that feels like death to me. That feels like it doesn't have purpose. I, I'm too attached to my ego. I, I feel like begin like when you take it, you never forget who you are or where you are or what you're doing. You might have these incredible visions, but if I tap you on the shoulder and say, yeah, hey, yeah, we need yeah, to yeah. check What's that up? IV port, yeah, yeah, you're exactly. completely there. So I feel like it it doesn't, destroy the ego, it heals the ego. Mm-hmm. It heals your sense of That's self. That's a good way of saying it. So that you're not...
3: The way it gave it to me was that <clears throat> that ego, the team guy ego, was for the team guy life. You're not a team guy anymore, so when, you're, when that ego's standing in your new life, it gets in the way. Yeah.
4: That was something I remember... I did have, have
3: the dad ego now?
4: Yeah, you got to yeah, switch.
3: Yeah. And the only way you can change is if the other one gets out of the way. So when they killed me, you know, I was... I know exactly where it's at. Yeah. Bottom of the ocean. I don't yeah. know exactly where he's at. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, I remember when, before you were going down. I don't down. Always say stuff
3: like this. I'm like, he's at the bottom of the ocean. like, what the hell are you talking about, Marcus? I'm like, yeah, so my ego is, that's where I keep it. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom of the ocean.
4: Well, before he went down, he, he had heard about the ego death and all of that. And I think it made him nervous. And he's like, you know, feet in his chest. And I am who I am. You want me to be a... He would say stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I don't... You're not going to be, no matter what you take, you're never going to be that. It's never yeah. going to make you a wuss or it's never going to make you not who you are. It's just going to help you find yourself.
3: Yeah. I remember when that
4: happened. Yeah.
3: A lot of the guys have some good ones. Yeah, it happens. You can feel it. And you just come out of there, it's like the best feeling ever. Do you feel yeah. like
4: a weight has been lifted off of you?
3: All, yeah, out of me. Yeah. Out, it was out of me. It's like, I mean, I know it's all like, no, I can't explain it yet. Yeah. I, I, I want to, trust me, it's coming. I, I'll eventually get, get how I want to say it. But when it's something so unique like that, because there's some things that, that happens to all of us in there, yeah. right? How it happens is different. Yeah. But it's, it, it will happen. I thought that was was awesome,
1: yeah, yeah. It's different for everybody. There's some things, like everybody gets a little ataxic, a little shaky when they take it. Um, I'd say eighty percent of people have some kind of visions. I'd say uh-huh. seventy five to eighty five percent of people are going to purge in a bucket at least yeah. once through the process. but in in sitting in circles after the experience and hearing about people's experience, it's so different. I, but and again, there's some common themes that come up, yeah, but it's, it's made, it's individualized medicine. It knows what you specifically need.
3: need. I just think that that's to talk about that though. That's something that's so powerful, but yet there is something unique to it. Like if you and I both see the same thing in there, mm-hmm. yeah. Think, think about that. Yeah. yeah
4: which has happened. Yeah. That, that's
3: unbelievable. Like you and I can see the same thing in there. Yeah. I mean, some things are completely different, but when you hear, I'm like, wait a minute, we're not even from the same area. In our minds, at the same time, we can see the same thing. Yeah. That's...
4: What do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I think there's, you're probably going subjectively to some kind of a place that is as objective as this world. You know, we're both looking at the same chess pieces on the table and you can corroborate that with
3: each other when you come back and talk when you can talk like that and you see it, it gives you a different perspective on life and i think that's the general is when you slow down and you start to appreciate everybody start to value life the way it you know we want it, we want it to be and the way it really is we can't get it there it's just i understand why you see things that way i do i get that i understand why you talk like that
2: mm-hmm.
3: but now i see it no no this is what it showed me and then when you show them that you are like hey just let me explain it to you like this all right yeah. i don't want to i'm not going to make you do anything I'm not gonna make a change of ways. I'm just gonna s- explain to you how I see it now, how, mm. what it showed me. Yeah. And then when I do that, and people, you can see it. When you say something to somebody, and like, whoa, yeah. what? Where, where's that been? And like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I had some kind of amnesia. I couldn't get past all of it. I had to get in there and kick my brain back in the line or something.
1: It brings out the best in people. How about that? I think it brings out like um, we treat people from all different kinds of religious backgrounds and spiritual backgrounds, but it's mostly Christians. And I think it, it turns people more into the kind of guy Jesus probably was. Yes. To me, Jesus was the biggest badass to ever walk the earth, mm-hmm. but he didn't do it by being an angry person. He did it by calmly saying, I know my truth. My father and I are one. We are all one. Even if you're going to string me up on this cross, I'm going to love you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it makes people more in line with the truth of, of what that man stood for. 100%. Oh, so of it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It lets you appreciate with what magnitude what, what he went through. Yeah. Because that really happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, that really that happened. It really happened. To a, to, so can you imagine having to go through that? Yeah. Just that alone. That, then when people talk to me like, hey, look, I've been through a lot. And having to pony up for that whole thing mm-hmm. in itself, just to be a good man.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, you can take this to the, to some deep levels. and I, I, That's exactly what it showed me. Yeah. That's, why I, that's why I walk like this now.
4: Well, yeah. and, like, and I you think.
3: You know, it's tough down here, especially if you're trying to be a real good one. Yeah.
4: I think for Marcus, one of the best things um, that Abigail did was put him, he created this routine when he came home and does not break it. I mean, every Sunday, no matter where we are in the world, we go to church. Every, he volunteers at the food pantry, the local food pantry in Mm -hmm. town, like, (laughs) <laughs> do it. It, did,
3: it does this to me,
4: but it's it's like what that's what ibogaine did to him. It gave it created this pattern and routine instead of drinking or you know anything else instead of something that would take him down a bad path. It took him down a path that brings him to light.
3: You want to talk about funny? Like I get up in the morning, start drinking coffee at ten o'clock. I can't touch it. <laughs> it makes me. I got I, I to pour it out. I'm watching my watch. I can't touch it
2: yeah
3: and it it literally is like you can have this now and this is a reason why we don't do this afterwards he's like it will you will not eat after seven o'clock if you do i will purge you (laughs) wow and it does that to me
1: well what about like you weren't how about that you grew up catholic i did you did not i didn't grow up with anything turned catholic after taking it took me straight
3: to the church Mm -hmm. the minute i got back he's like this is what these are your rules
1: but let's if you don't mind. It told you to learn Latin, dude. I
3: have to learn Latin. Yeah, can you believe that? And you've learned and Latin. I've learned it, yeah, learn Latin. And it yeah. makes it easy for me because it's almost like I was supposed to read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, 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 when I get done with one thing, it'll test me on something. Does this sound bizarre? I know. This sounds so bizarre. That's <laughs> why so I wanted to get a bit of but, it out. But this is actually happening to me. People. I can't stop I this. It's actually happening. I, I have to do this. And it, it makes... I know that sounds crazy when I say that, but that's what it does to me. It's in like manifests itself into me. And it makes, makes you me the do best this. possible person How about you that? Could be.
1: <laughs> if you let it. If you, if let, you it, let it and if you it, want it. If you want it to It's yeah. not gonna make you go against your will, neither. No, uh, like uh, yeah. we were talking about earlier, somebody drank on the way in and then drank on the way out, and mm-hmm. we're not really committed to the
3: process I'm at a good all soldier. For that kind of yeah. It's the best way I can, is what it tells me. It's yeah. like, man, when when I got told to do something, I would do it and I would do it to the best of my ability. Even if I would screw it up and that's I do. But if I'm trying, then it gives me something, and I, I, I free will keep...
4: is always going to be there. Free will is always not there. Not going to oh, take free will yeah. away.
1: Yeah. If you want to be a raging asshole, after Ibogaine, 100%, percent you're going to be able to do that. Still. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So for those people that are scared of going soft, it yeah. doesn't make people soft. No. I'm sitting here talking
3: to Marcus. Matter of fact, Centrale. yeah. Yeah. Does it? You know, one of the <laughs> least soft people on earth. I can. I can see him. You know, I know it, it changed the way I look at people.
4: It definitely yeah. changed the way he looks. And it it gives him perspective that he never saw before. Like almost not empathy, but he can look at someone and say, okay, well, they have their own situation going on. And, and the, not, minute it, the minute yeah. they
3: gave me that door,
4: it's really, I, I ran
3: right through it. And once I saw that and I was like, okay, yeah. well, now what do you got? Show me something else. Because when you start seeing people's angles, yeah, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, because the front angle you show me is always going to be your defense, your bat aside, and everything, yeah. man. But I, I can get around that now. Yeah. What's
4: interesting is post Ibogaine, he has had more flight cancellations and travel hiccups than he's ever had before. And I'm like, this has to ha- be at some sort of test. I don't I know what time. is going on. It's but not like
3: everybody would believe either. It's different. And
4: it's always coming home. It's never when he's on his way to work or anything like that. It's coming home, flights get canceled or room wasn't booked or, you know, there's something that goes wrong. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm getting ready for a a rage, but he handles it with grace. and
1: And let's be honest because I've worked with people and their anger goes away. And then they call me three months later said, Oh, I got angry again today. I'm like, well, that's I've done became eight times. I get angry. You <laughs> yeah. know. Life happens That's still. That's test. Yeah. yeah. So
3: the, the, as you go and progress, it teaches you in levels, like in martial arts, like belt levels. Yeah. So the first test it gives you is like, oh, I kept my anger. It's like passing the first level on Mario or something. But then the next one comes in and then it's like you're going through it and there'll be a test and it'll be tough to see if you lose your cool. If you lose your cool, it'll back you up and yeah. it'll do it to you again. But if you pass it, it'll keep going. And then yeah. the scenarios. Like everyone thinks that, like uh, I don't, I don't lose my cool when everything falls apart. It's like the little stuff, right? Yeah, that's it's like, totally it's me too. the little yeah, stuff, yeah, right? It's like I, the pl- flight got canceled, then my TV didn't work, then my credit card was declined, and then uh, you know, I, my luggage got lost. <laughs> you know, it's just like this, yeah. uh, where it's designed, like you can tell someone's trying to piss me off. Mm-hmm. And when I start to see that, I'm okay. All right, all right, you know. And then if you know you're being tested, it becomes a joke.
4: It becomes yeah. a game.
3: Yeah. And once I started to see that, I would back up. I was like, okay, life, life test.
1: Yeah, and then the the next test is all right. I did get angry. Angry? Can I not kick my own ass? <laughs> yeah, for right. It? Yeah, you exactly. Can I, I just forgive myself for being a human being? I say that too at yeah. the end
3: of it. I was like, you know what? I kept my cool, but I got a little upset. Yeah, I, I still kind of want to want to do that. And it's just it's it's with pressure. It's like learning your tolerance, your balance. We yeah. talked about it. Yeah, Your balance. So the only way to truly balance you out is to put you in those scenarios. Yeah. That's it. And it does that. Yeah, it does it to me.
1: Yeah, I we haven't even talked about 5-MEO-DMT. But my first time working with that substance, personally, it really, I was brought to the unity of all things like I, I could really feel the perfection and connection between all things. And the thing with something like that, if you truly, if you don't forget it, is if we're all one thing, then if anybody is suffering, then I am suffering. Mm-hmm. And then it fi- it's so easy to find compassion for people at that point. And That's it's not say. flawless, compassion.
3: That's why I say, you treat your neighbor. Yeah. Like you treat yourself. That, the golden rule. That's the only way you can do this. They like, how it. can I help yeah. everybody? You can't. Yeah. Not designed like that. You're designed to help that one next to you, your neighbor, whoever you're sitting next to at any given time. Yeah. And I know it's usually not going to be what you want it to be wrapped in. It's going to look like something you don't like. It's going to talk like something. I have to do with it all the time. Yeah. But that's the way it is. That's the irony and the fun and the humor of life and the yeah. way that, you know, God wraps everything up.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it comes back to what Jesus taught, which is love God above all else to the best of your ability with everything that you've got, and then do unto others as you would do unto yourself and i love the love your enemy part Mm -hmm. and love your enemy is not necessarily i i I had this realization at easter a few years ago um love your enemy isn't necessarily the person love the challenge that is in front of you yeah love your current
3: enemy that's That's the the way you say that Yes. yes The enemy that like if someone's pounding you in the face, you want me to love them? Well, no, 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 no. If you're a fighter and they're in there and that's your arena, then love your environment. Yeah, love, yeah. love the test. Yeah, don't hate that. Yeah, that's what that. That's how yeah. I take. I perceive that too. Yeah, absolutely. And the enemy is your anger
1: right now. That's right. Or your frustration right now. Mm-hmm. Or you know whatever it is. It's the Beat simple, yeah, simple yeah, I mean, little. thing. And things. you
3: can remove yourself too. That's yeah. the best part from the environment. It's like man, you you, you do have outs. Yeah. And then some of us choose to stay in it. You can always see a protagonist. Man, someone walking around looking for some attitude or for a fight, you can see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't hide that.
4: Yeah. I Speaking mean, of 5-MeO really quick, do you think in your experience that you have to do 5-MeO following an game?
1: No, not at all. That was um, 5-MeO is really a recent addition to the equation when I was working with Ibogaine in Vancouver, we, we just worked with Ibogaine uh, for the majority of the time. And then it was a, a provider in um, Mexico started adding 5-MeO to their protocol. Mm-hmm. When I first heard about it, I'm like, eh, mixing medicines. I don't know. I was a bit of a purist and, and didn't know if that was cool. But then I treated somebody in Vancouver, a younger guy, 24 years old, but had, had been addicted to heroin since he was 15 years old. Oh, wow. And it was a tough detox and he was feeling pretty rough afterwards. And uh, I said, well, I've heard 5-MeO goes, goes well after Ibogaine. Do you want to give it a shot? And he he did it. It was one of the coolest experiences. He so I gave it to him. He was on a couch. I kind of sat next to him meditating as I gave it to him. But quickly I heard a rustling and I heard him sitting up. I turned and looked at him and he grabbed my shoulders and he looks at me and he goes, Wow! It was the most oh authentic my wow gosh. I have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and he said he felt like he was just reborn. Like he felt like he... Like when when Neo in the Matrix comes out of that slime, he said it felt like that, but it was all good. And he was just, and he was perfectly fine after that point. So I saw the benefit of five then. But even we did a study with Stanford University yeah, uh, that recently. Really good. Setup. Yeah. But the, so they went to Stanford prior to coming to us, 30 guys, soft guys um, with with TBI. And then they came here. And they just did Ibogaine when they came to us because we just wanted to study the one thing. And then they went to Stanford immediately thereafter. And the, the results are incredible and they'll be published within six to eight months. But we were since we'd been working with 5-MeO, we're like, oh, well, what about the 5-MeO? They're not going to get 5-MeO. But as soon as we gave it to the first group, we're like, eh, Ibogaine's awesome. <laughs> it totally, all those guys were fine. None of those guys, I felt like they needed 5-MeO after. And then they got to come back a month later for 5MEO.
4: I feel like the people that I've seen that have gone through, how I've explained it in very layman's terms is the 5MEO will strip you of any darkness or ego or whatever that is. But having the five afterwards or a few days later is like filling that void that was ripped out with just pure light. Yeah. Do you think that's a good?
1: My metaphor is ibogaine sandblasts you from the inside out, and 5meo polishes you mm, from there. That's good. Yeah, or it's the icing on the cake, or but for the and and just as the stars aligned for that Stanford study, everybody popped out of ibogaine quite well. Mm. So, and I didn't feel like we missed the drop the ball on not giving them five. But for people who are still feeling a bit discombobulated a day or so after and you give them five MEO, it seems to push them through and really help them in a, in a really nice way.
4: Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for yeah, coming bro. on and Thanks telling us about me. all of this. Well. I mean, it needs to be talked about more and yeah. just the everyday people, whether they want to do it or they know someone that needs it. Can they, you know, veterans can obviously, special forces can go through vet solutions yeah, um, for funding or for grants, but for everyday people, can they contact you Yeah, AMBO? they can find
1: us at our website. We're called AMBIO Life Sciences, so A-M-B-I-O. The website is ambio.life, and yeah we we do programs where we tend to bring veterans and first responders in together. Uh, definitely mostly groups with veterans, then groups with veterans and first responders, and then civilians as well. And everybody is welcome. Anybody that feels a call. Um, we just I think just somehow because of the way the the cookie has crumbled. We don't attract a lot of psychedelic tourists. It's not yeah. people who are just looking for mm, the next middle, huh? thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's not no, that is. no, we don't want those kind of people. But people who are
3: seeking true huh. healing Have they come wandering in there—that's that's the last after. time they'll do that. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. it's—it really is a, an inner healing, mm-hmm. and whether someone listening needs it, or you know, if somebody, your son or daughter or mom, you know, whoever it is. We all have someone in our life that we're like, ooh, she needs that or he needs that. Everybody, every family has at least one person they know that needs it. Um, But it's so hard to get information about it. So having your website handy. You mentioned
1: mentioned Vet Solutions. So Mm vetsolutions.org is uh, 501c3. Amber and Marcus Capone started this nonprofit and have raised... Money to send so many guys so many. for treatments like Great this. People. They are incredible group, huh? human beings, just the most miraculous human beings I've ever met. What about met. that, dude? He's so good. <laughs> and Amber, the, how about her? The, huh? the pair of Marcuses in my life. Right, I mean, yeah, right. You got both of incredible. us. we both here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people are looking for ways to spend money, donate money in a way that's actually going to have an impact on your country. That is the best charity I can imagine giving to. A
4: hundred percent. I mean, that has changed hundreds of guys. They're lives. more than
1: five hundred now. Yeah, maybe cl- nearing in on yeah, eight hundred. Five, yeah. 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 yeah,
4: Amber and Marcus have really not only started this movement, but they've they've kept it going, and they're just doing a, a great job. They're bulldozing through. They're forces of nature. Mm-hmm. They
1: are. I'm. Yeah. Out of all the people I've met since I started in this field, um, I'm just humbled by Amber Marcus's yeah. presence in
4: my life. Same, yeah, we love them. Well, and
3: powerful women in our lives, man. Yeah, they're, they're right. Like <laughs> you, yeah, they're so yeah, watched. When, yeah. they, when they walk in and start doing their thing, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I owe a lot to Amber. So she impressed her, by that. Oh man, yeah. she's
3: something. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again, brother. Yeah, yeah great thank job. You. Oh, so
1: much, yeah, thank you so much, That was awesome.
0: Thank you, everybody, and thank you for listening in on another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. Such a great episode with Trevor today, and we will see you guys next week.